I am just going to get right into the sermon today, and it comes from Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to continue our series in Nehemiah together. I entitled this one, Overcoming Opposition. Let's read the chapter. Uh, The Word of God reads, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. So Nehemiah prays, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till stars came out. And at that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the things that you're sharing with us, your heart that you're sharing with us as we study this book of Nehemiah together. Lord, we see that through Ezra, you taught us that our whole lives were to be a worship to you, that every aspect of our lives um, were saved, redeemed to give you glory. And so God, as we enter even into this book, it's obvious that there is ministry that you created us for. There is a lost world and our lost generation that you created us to save. 
And Father, we pray that um, as we continue to study this book of Nehemiah together, that you'll continue to place that burden upon our hearts to be the salt and light in our generation so that you might be made known through us. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Nehemiah chapter 4 is a story of God's people coming under attack. And this week, you know, maybe more than a lot of weeks this year, it's been a week of attacks, hasn't it? You know, I mean, um, there were terrorists attack in the nation of Israel, if you didn't know. There's a lot of them. And then uh, Scott Morrison's own party members were attacking his own character. We're attacking his character on the parliament floor. Oh, my gosh. Will Smith attacked Chris Rock you know, at the Oscars. This is a week of attacks. You know, and it just goes to show that anytime you put yourself out there to stand for something or to represent something um, in any single way, you welcome opposition within your life, especially when it comes to your faith. Isn't that correct? You know, following Christ and living according to Scripture is becoming increasingly unpopular in our day and age. You know, things like prayer, biblical gender roles, and biblical marriage, as well as even issues of holiness are now becoming battles that are being lost in the public arenas, even here in this country. And so when Christians take a biblical stand for Jesus in this world, it is assured that we will encounter oppositions and attacks in our lives. And if we don't know how to properly handle them and to overcome them God's way, then a lot of times, you know, I've seen a lot of Christians not able to handle those things, and it's so devastating that a lot of times it renders us helpless. You know, when I first started ministry, uh, I wanted to be this great pastor. I was a youth pastor. I was 24 years old, and I wanted to be a great pastor, disciple people, love people, help people grow. But I didn't know how to be a pastor. You know, they don't teach you that when you become a Christian, right? You should. And so, you know, I remember the first time I started youth pastoring, I had, you know, a lot of some of my students, they would just rebel. Yeah, that happens to me very frequently as a pastor. You know, they would just rebel. And they said, some, they said some really harsh words in my first year as a youth pastor. And all I remember about that day, more than anything else, was I remember I, I, I was home and I was so distraught. I started crying and I really wanted to quit because I didn't know, you know, how to handle opposition. I thought I was doing something great for God and then now everyone hates what I'm doing, you know. And so it was very difficult for me to handle. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or whether you're a teacher or maybe you're a plumber. It doesn't matter because all of us want to do something for God. We want to live for God. We want our lives to matter, right? We all have a ministry that we want to be faithful to. And achieving those goals are hard enough. But then all of a sudden, you know, they become much more difficult when you encounter opposition as you try to live out those goals. And opposition can take many forms. It could be disagreements. It could be personal attacks. It can be glass ceilings. It can be unfair practices or unjust practices. It could, it could take the form of physical illnesses. There are so many ways that we can encounter things like opposition. And they can come from anywhere and any one. But before we get to those principles of how to overcome opposition, I just want to share three principles of opposition that I want each one of us to keep in mind. And that's this. Number one, no matter what kind of opposition you face, it is always spiritual. Okay, I'm not trying to spiritualize life, but 
Uh, this is what Ephesians 6.12 says. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what you have to realize is that it's very simple. We have an enemy, and the enemy's name is Satan. And Satan's only goal is to try and stop you from living, for living for Christ. That's it. Right? He's trying to stop you from living for Christ. And he's going to do everything that he can to influence people, nations, circumstances, so that you will fail. So when you encounter opposition within your life, you got to know that there is a greater battle that you're actually facing than the challenge that might be right in front of your face. And if it really is a spiritual battle, then we need to learn how to fight with spiritual weapons. Okay, number two. Secondly, we need to always expect that we will be attacked. Or maybe a better way to say it is, we shouldn't be surprised when we are attacked. Jesus, what Jesus said in John 15, 18 to 19, is that if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you. But as it is, you don't belong to the world because I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. These are very direct and poignant truths by Jesus Christ, right? If we side with Christ, the world will be against us. That's exactly what he's saying. But here are two verses that hopefully will encourage you so that you will face those attacks head on. Matthew 10, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a reward, an eternal one. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me, you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now that John 16, 33 verse is, is an amazing one. It's, you know, read this. It's absolutely amazing. What it's saying is that no matter how bad your opposition gets, always know that we are already on the winning side, right? That's what's amazing. Christ has already won. We're already on the winning side. And if we choose to face those oppositions for Christ, not only will we have peace, but we will be rewarded by God. Right, And so what all, all this is saying is that, look, if Satan and the world attack Jesus, they're going to attack us too, and we shouldn't be surprised. I, I had this one mentor, one of my first mentors in my life, and he always told me, hey, Eddie, if you feel like you're being attacked, that might be a great indicator that you're actually doing something right, because Satan's afraid, and so he wants you to stop. The scary part in life, and especially in your spiritual life, is when you don't feel like you're being attacked, because maybe you're not really being faithful then there's nothing for Satan to fear. Isn't that interesting? And I, I always keep that in mind. Lastly, thirdly, be a soldier. Right? And this is spiritual battle. You know, soldiers always know that they're in a war. They're discharging their weapons against the enemy. They're protecting themselves and their platoon. And when they see their wounded buddies, they go and they save their lives. But even greater, soldiers always know who they are fighting why they're fighting, and what they are fighting for. And to me, I always feel like this is what the church is supposed to look like. You know, when you come to church, there should be the sense of like we're regathering because all of us are fighting this eternal battle, this ministry that God has called us to, this eternal privilege to live for something greater than ourselves, and that's the kingdom and his glory. And yet we come here to get recharged by one another, to help one another, to heal one another, to love each other, and to grow together. But the truth is, however, that I think the church 
simply doesn't have enough soldiers. You know, we got a lot of guys who like wearing the uniform of Christianity. We got a lot of guys in the church that love talking Jesus. But we don't have a lot of people who are actually fighting, fighting to win souls for Christ. So that's fighting eternal battles. You know what I'm saying? Fighting to win our generation, to show off to our, our generation how amazing Christ really is and engaging in those battles, actually fighting for souls, right, that we are called to fight. And, you know, the, although I just try to think very simply all the time about spiritual warfare. If Satan is attacking the church and is fighting 24-7 to win this world for him, then shouldn't Christians be fighting 24-7 as well? That's it. I just think that simply. And I really believe we need to be, right? The church needs soldiers. So be a soldier. And so now that we know those you know, basic principles of spiritual warfare, you know, how can we overcome opposition together? I think today's passage gives us three ways that we can do that. And the first is prayer. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. It says, when Thambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the jewels in the presence of his associates and, in, and the army of Samaria. And he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobai, the Ammonite who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stones. And so Nehemiah prays, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insult back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. You know, in Nehemiah 3, what we talked about last week, we, we read that they started the work of rebuilding the walls. And then all of a sudden, you know, once you get, you know, once they started building, and just like we said, anytime you take a stand or you want to do something for God, you're, you're, you know, it's for sure that you're going to encounter opposition. So the moment they started building, all of a sudden they came under attack. Sambalat and Tobiah, they were the regional gover governors of the territories of Jerusalem, and they began taunting the Jews. And they began taunting the Jews in so many ways. They made fun of the Jewish people. They made fun of their vision and their dream. They made fun of their abilities. They made fun of God. They made fun of all their efforts. And these were public taunts being made in the Jewish people's faces as they tried to build. But instead of throwing rocks, what did Nehemiah do? Verse 4 says he prayed. Why? Spiritual warfare calls for spiritual weapons, right? And the thing is, you know, Nehemiah's prayer here is not the type of prayer that you usually hear in the modern church today, you know, but this is a classic Old Testament prayer. And he was basically asking God to make sure that his justice reigns against their sins. You don't really hear those types of prayers these days in the church anymore, but it's a pretty awesome prayer, you know. You know, we've been saying it every single week with every message that we've preached in Nehemiah so far that we need to become a people of prayer. And, you know, one more reason why we, why we need to become a people of prayer is because prayer indicates that you truly believe that God is the one that is in control. You know, if he was really the one that was in control and you had direct access to him and you knew that he was in control of the opposition, then wouldn't you ask him to stop it? 
If you knew that he was pulling all the strings and he had his hands on all the strings of the world and you had direct access, wouldn't you ask him to stop it? You would, right? By praying, we're really coming to the only one who can actually make a difference and change the situation. You know, when you look at Nehemiah's prayer, it was absolutely bold. He was like telling God what to do. Maybe he was emotional. Maybe he knew exactly what God's heart was towards these people's sins. I don't know. But what we do know when we read this prayer is all of his confidence wasn't God alone. It wasn't in the work. It wasn't in their, the way that they could defend. It was in God alone. And prayer does that. Prayer reassures us as his people that God is in full control. It is in prayer that we get affirmed that we are his beloved, that we are his treasure. We get comforted in that. It is in prayer that we get reminded that he is the one that fights our battles, that he is our vindicator, right? And that he always works for our good. It is in prayer that he speaks to us, and that he leads us in his truth so that our confidence can be in him alone. You know, I shared before how I was, how I was on crutches for five weeks and how that caused me to pray so much more than I did before and for a very long time. And through those times of prayer, you know, God really woke me up to my own sin, to the compromise in my life, to my lack of commitment, to this ministry, to you guys, to my family, maybe even to my walk with God. And as a result, what was awesome about that is that through prayer, my focus became laser clear, right? And I knew what I wanted to do and how I wanted to live for God. And I just set my life upon that pathway once again. Um, but I was also reminded during that time that sin is the reason for all of life's maladies and all of life's infirmities, right? Sin is the reason my ankle is it is. If there was no sin, my ankle would be perfect, right? All of our bodies would be perfect. If there was no sin, there wouldn't be war. There wouldn't be violence. There wouldn't be poverty and famine in this world. And so what that reminded me was that the evil one really is at work 24-7 in this world, Right? He is working hard to win this world for himself. And sadly, I was really awakened to how much I don't care that he is. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's so obvious when you turn on your news, and if you get it from YouTube or it doesn't matter where you get your news from, it's obvious that this world is messed up. And that should convince us that Satan is working 24-7 against the principles of Scripture, against the principles of God. But do we care enough to fight? Do we care enough to pray to the only one who can change that situation? And I was awakened to the fact that I didn't, but that we need to as a church. So I started praying even more, and I came to some either good or bad realizations, and let me just share those with you. Number one, I came to, the fact, I came to this fact. I realized I cannot conquer sin, whether it's in my life or in this world. But praise God that I can't, because Jesus already did. So we can put our hope in Christ. Secondly, I came to the conclusion that I cannot defeat Satan. I cannot defeat temptation in my life. I cannot defeat all these things that are happening. But praise God, I don't have to, because Jesus already defeated Satan. And if I just put my trust in Christ, then we can overcome. Thirdly, I cannot change 
the world. I can't change it. But what I can do is I can change to be who God says that I was saved to be and created to be for his glory. And when I align myself with who he says I am, then God can now use me to change the world. Right? I become this eternal instrument to do whatever God wishes. And that's amazing. Right? And when those truths come to you personally, it has an effect upon you. It makes you want to live for God. It makes you want to step into who he says that we were always called to be and to take risks for him and to live in those ways so that he can reign over sin in this world. Right? When those things happen, your confidence starts to rest in God alone. We need these truths and we need these realizations every single day, but they only come when we pray. They really do. Right? You could, you could read your scripture all you want, but it's only when you talk to him face to face and you hear those things and you know and you get reminded of those things that's in your heart and you have that confidence, your confidence gets placed in him alone. And that's why we need to pray. A true vision of God changes everything. So prayer not only brings us to the truth of who Jesus truly is, but it moves our hearts to trust in him against any opposition that we face. When we read the rest of this chapter, what you find is Nehemiah basically commanding everybody to look at God and to trust in God. That is a man who has prayed, right? Only someone who has prayed and has his full confidence in God can yell at people to do that. You know, it's because he knows. But that's how we all should be as Christians. Right? Spiritual warriors, when we encounter opposition, we pray first so that we can see God clearly and trust in him. Secondly, when we encounter opposition, we need to rally our people. Uh, I'm going to read verses 7 to 14. It says, when, when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Be, remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. In this passage, we see the opposition very, very clearly. We have Sanballat, we have Tobiah, we have the Arabs, we have the Ammonites, and we have the Ashadites, and they all plan to attack Jerusalem. Now, just to make, uh, to give you a picture of this stuff, each one of those people represent tribes that surround Jerusalem. So literally, Jerusalem is surrounded from the north, east, south, and west by people who want to attack this city, right? If you were a Jew, you'd be scared, and that would be natural, that's, what, that's, that's the situation here. And so what did Nehemiah do? Verse 9, he prayed. Let's move on. Then what did he do? He rallied his people around him. And this is what I mean by that. Everybody was afraid. Half of these verses are Jews complaining to Nehemiah that we're afraid, right? Because our lives are being threatened. 
So Nehemiah realized that if we fight together and we fight alongside those whom we love and those who will help us focus and keep our focus upon God, we'll actually have a chance to be successful. So he grouped them in clans and equipped them to fight. He reminded them of God's promises and shifted their hope in God. And he reassured them that we were all one people. And if we stick together, we will all be supported and successful. There are two things that I want to say about this. And the first is this. When you encounter opposition, what you need to realize is that rarely are you the only one being affected by your opposition, right? There is always collateral damage. You know, even though I was the one with the ankle issue, my whole family suffered immediately, right? My mom, my, my mom, my wife took, you know, like some time off of work. You know, sometimes I think she's like my mom. She takes care of me so well. But anyway, you know, like she, you know, she's had to take time off work. My kids were always disappointed that I couldn't play with them or do the normal things with them because, you know, I just wasn't mobile. You know, I became really irritable and 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 frustrated, and therefore I got I was irritable and frustrated towards them. I know some of you messaged me, which was really great, and you were supportive. I I don't even remember how I responded. I hope I responded graciously. But if I didn't, it's because I was irritable, irritable and frustrated. I might have pushed your help away. And if I did, I apologize. But that's what I'm saying. There's, you know, other people get affected when you're the one that gets attacked. Scripture says that when you strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter. Isn't that interesting? When you strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter, which means that whenever one person gets attacked, the people around that person will always get affected. I'm willing to bet that there are people in this room who are probably victims of collateral damage, either by your parents or by your workplaces, possibly even this church. And if so, I hope, you know, we have it in our hearts to forgive them. Maybe we'll have to take some time after this message to do that and to find healing in Christ alone and to forgive those that may have sinned against us. But scripture says that basically when one person gets attacked, there are many others that will also suffer. That's why a good spiritual warrior knows that when he is attacked, it's not just about him, right? But it's about everyone else around him as well. So the second thing that he does is that he responds to the attack by leaning upon and embracing his spiritual communities so that they can all fight together, right? And through that, it affirms how valuable their brothers, his brothers and sisters really are to him and to each other. And that's what we truly need to do. You know, can I say something a little bit negative about you guys? You know, it's not really bad, but... Um, you know what? I've been a pastor now for almost 30 years, and this is probably one of the first churches where I just don't get a lot of SMSs from you guys asking me to pray for you or to support you in certain ways. You know what I'm saying? And I get it. You know, we're Asians. You know, we just, you know, we don't want to be a burden to anybody. You know, maybe my, my, my little struggle is too small for me to SMS the pastor. You know, and maybe, I don't know, I'm just going to take a risk. Maybe my CG leaders feel the same way. You know, I don't know if you CG leaders get a lot of texts from your members asking to pray, asking for support, all these things. But, you know, but you should, you know, because can I tell you how it feels as a pastor to receive a text asking for prayer or support? It might be the exact opposite of what you think I feel. I actually get really excited 
right? Because the first thing I think when I get this text saying, oh, Eddie, can you pray for me because dot, 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 I'm like, oh my goodness, this person actually believes that my prayer means something, you know? I, I feel affirmed. This person actually believes that if I talk to God, their situation can change. That's amazing. It makes me feel amazing, you know? And then you know what it does? It makes me want to pray, and it makes me want to meet with God and to make sure that God does something in your life. So that encourages me to seek after God. It makes me seek after God. It makes me literally seek after God for you. And hopefully God will do something in your life. That's like a win, 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 win. It's a win for me. It's a win for you. It's a win for our relationship. It's a win for the church. It's a win for the kingdom. Why wouldn't we lean on each other? It makes me feel so valued, and I, and I hope my CG leaders feel exactly the same. You know, we should, there's no way we can fight spiritual battles alone. We need each other. We need the church, and that's why God has given us the church to help each other overcome, right? The one thing that Satan wants to do with the church is, and it's, a, it's all throughout Scripture, he only has one goal for the church, and that is to create disunity. But when we are attacked, the sheep scatter. That's disunity. But if we do the exact opposite, when we get attacked, let's gather and reunify and mobilize each other to attack and fight together. That's how we win. You know what I'm saying? We need to lean on each other. We need to embrace each other. When we get attacked, we need to value each other and gather each other so that we can fight together. When you are attacked, embrace and lean on your spiritual community, your CG, your family, your spiritual leaders, share your burdens, carry their burdens as well, and let's all point each other to God and help each other lean on him together. Rally your people. Lastly, fight. The last thing we need to do to, when we encounter opposition is to fight, right? Um, let's just read the rest of this. 15 to 33 says, When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bowens, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me, and then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor my guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. This first verse, verse 15, it said the moment the Israelites knew that the opposition had given up, what did they do? They all went back to work. Now the thing is, that sounds like a verse like, oh, now that we have no more opposition, they all went back to their normal lives. That's what the verse sounds like it's saying. But when we look at the rest of this passage, um, did they go back into normal life mode? Did they relax at all? And the answer is no. As a matter of fact, they did the exact opposite. They reinforced their guard, right? They worked even harder 
to rebuild when they weren't being attacked and they were always on high alert 24-7. You know, when the first lockdown hit our church, I think a lot of us were so confused. We had no idea what was going on. But if there was one thing that kind of really rose to the top coming back after the first lockdown, I felt like everybody in our church valued church a lot higher. We realized, wow, people are dying. Maybe etern- And we thought about eternity, you know, and we thought about death. We thought about what really counts in life, and Jesus Christ became a lot more valuable to us. And so when church restarted, I think people were really invested. They realized, wow, this stuff matters. I should get serious about eternity. And it was awesome. And church was awesome. Church was great. Um, there's a part of me that feels like the second lockdown almost had the opposite effect. You know, people were so over it. People were so sick of it that by the time we regathered, it was kind of like everyone was so focused upon just living their normal lives, going back to normalcy, you know, so much that maybe um, they weren't thinking about eternity and what really counted. Right. And I felt like and I still kind of feel like there's a lot of us who kind of just put our guard down and said, you want to say, I'm just going to live for whatever I want to live for, you know, because maybe time is precious. I just want to do what I want to do. And I always feel like whenever we're in that kind of mode, it becomes very, very dangerous, you know, because what you have to realize is that the evil one really has only one goal for you. And that's, and I said it before, it's to stop you from living for Jesus. That's it. And if he has a second goal in your life, it's to make you live for yourselves. That's what sin is, right? Living for yourself and not living for Christ. Ultimately, that's what it is. And so if we realize that that is Satan's goal for us personally, and that's his goal for everyone within our church, then this is a time not to be doing that, but to be fighting even harder, right? To reinforcing our guard against the evil one. To making sure that we are fighting on behalf of each other so that we don't get attacked, right? We need to make sure that we are living for the mission and the ministry that God has called each one of us to. What's that mission? Once again, advancing the gospel in our generation, knowing God so deeply that all we want to do is make him known to this world, loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that all we want to do is help others love him as well. We all need to be doing kingdom work with our left hand and fighting for our brothers and sisters with our right, just like they were doing in this passage. There is no greater time than now to be a soldier for the kingdom and to fight for the kingdom. So when you encounter opposition, pray. Rally your people and fight. You know, sometimes in life, you just have to pause and ask yourself, hey, what is really going on here in my life? Did you guys ever do that? Did you guys ever do that? Did you ever have to reflect? Whenever I feel like I am under attack, my first reaction is always frustration. But I've learned after like being a Christian for 30 years um, that I quickly turn to reason. Okay, And this is what I'm talking about. This is how I think. This is my process whenever I get attacked. I always think this. If Satan and his legion of demons 
consider me worthy enough to attack, then I must actually be doing something that makes him afraid. That's pretty cool, right? right? I just made this eternal being afraid of me, and that's awesome. And it makes me realize then that this cosmic battle for my soul, for Eddie Bang's soul, must matter to him. Who am I that I would matter to Satan? But if that's true, then how much more, how much more am I valuable to the God of the universe, right? How much more must I mean to God? And then all of a sudden I come to this conclusion, oh my God, if there's a cosmic battle for me, I must really matter. My life must matter. Therefore, my decisions must matter. Right? And I can either choose to fight on the side that has already won, the side that continues to make God great and strengthens me in him, or I can just give in to whatever I want to do and choose to live a defeated life, which it is then, succumbing to all the world's desires and dreams, and therefore becoming all that Satan wants me to be. And when I think that clearly, I fight. That's it. Maybe my heart doesn't want to be this, but I know I don't want to be that, so I fight. To me, it's that simple, right? And I want all of you to do the same. The church needs more soldiers, you know? We need more people fighting for ourselves, fighting for our families, fighting for our brothers and sisters. We need more soldiers who want to make Christ known in this world. But once again, if you don't ever put yourself out there, maybe there's no reason for you to be attacked. That's a scary position to be in. Let's be a church that not only lives out his mission, but overcomes opposition together. Let's pray. You know, I don't know what it is about this Nehemiah series. Whenever I prepare it, and maybe it's me or maybe it's God, but there is this burden that I feel every single time that I preach. And it's not frustration or anger. It's like this hope that we, that God is calling us to be generation changers. You know, God is continually reminding us that there is a ministry. There is an eternal role that we play in our generation. And it's right there for the taking. But the fact of the matter is that there's not enough soldiers in the church. There are people who love wearing the uniform, people talk, who talk the talk, but... We need people who are fighting, who are actually engaging in the battle to win souls for Christ. Wanting and hoping and dreaming and praying for people in our generation to know Christ and to worship Him. And we have the opportunity to be that. So I want to invite you into that, you know? 
There is a great eternal purpose for your life. Your life matters. Can I just encourage you to take a step today to give yourself to live eternally? Why don't we just take a minute and let's just talk to God about that together. Let's pray. up another prayer. There might be people in this room who are struggling right now, who are being attacked right now, and you just need help. Why don't we, uh, if you're going through that, we want to pray for you. Um, we may not know who's struggling, but let's pray for each other in this room. Let's just really lift people up and just ask God. God, God knows who's struggling. God knows who needs the help. Let's unify our hearts together and fight for one another today. So can we lift up a prayer for those that might be going under op opposition right now, they're being tagged right now, so that they'll keep their hearts focused upon God, that they'll keep their hope centered upon God alone, and that we as a church will continue to unify and prevent the evil one from breaking us apart so that we might fight together for him. Let's pray and let's fight on behalf of our brothers and sisters right now. Let's pray. two weeks is Easter and that's like the pinnacle of our faith you know 
And it's always a wonderful time to recenter our whole lives upon Christ. It's a wonderful time to renew your first love for Jesus. But, you know, it always takes preparation. You know, just because you rock up on an Easter service doesn't mean that something's going to happen. But I truly believe that those who look forward and who are constantly looking towards Christ, Easter service, the whole Easter weekend, the whole Easter week becomes a wonderful week of renewal. And I really want that for each one of you. So can we just lift up a prayer for yourself and ask God these next two weeks, for some reason, awaken my heart even more deeply to Jesus. Renew my first love for you. And let me be a true, not only son or daughter, a soldier for the kingdom. And let me fight for you proudly in this world that doesn't seem to like you too much. Why don't we just pray for ourselves and we'll close there, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Father, you're real. You are real. We thank you, God, that you're speaking to us every single week about these great opportunities that we have to actually live out who you saved us to be, who you created us to be, Father, we thank you that you have gifted each one of us with an eternal role to play in eternity and to give you glory with our lives. Father, I pray that you continue to work mightily among our hearts and our minds, in our dreams, in our passions, so that all things would want to point to make you greater. And Father, especially to make you greater in this world. Lord, this world is such so tough because it doesn't like you. It hates you. And Father, we're always in this constant battle. We want to be loved by the world, but we want to love you sincerely with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength as well. And, and we're always pulled in two directions. But God, we pray, help us to always clearly see what the evil one is doing in this world. And Lord, the calling that we have and the privilege that we have to call upon the only authority that has already destroyed the evil one. 
And Lord, help us to find our strength and our identity as Christians. And Father, to find our joy in fighting on behalf of one another. Not only so that we can overcome any opposition that the evil one might throw our way, but so that we can truly be a church that makes you great and that makes you known. So Lord, strengthen my brothers and sisters here who might be under attack right now. Lord, may you strengthen their hearts and their resolve so that they might look to you alone and find their hope and strength in you alone. And Lord, we pray that you will just make us a church that always for some reason is crystal clear on our mission and is willing to pay whatever price it takes to make you great. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.